week's episode is about a health metric you may not have heard of before called heart rate variability that scientists have known about and studied for a long time. And in recent years, consumers have been given access to sensitive monitors that can give readouts of HRV whenever you want. I like to change up my routines to see how they affect health and performance, but it can be frustrating because I often think something is helping, only to realize a few days later that I was wrong because I'm making judgments that are too subjective, even when it comes to my own lifestyle. That's why, about five months ago, I got interested in heart rate variability, or HRV, as a more objective measure of what's working and what's not. Various sensors have come on the market for fairly cheap that let you check your HRV round the clock if you wanted to. I wrote an article about HRV for Fortune magazine and got an unusual amount of interest from friends and family wanting to know more about HRV. And since then, a few of them have got just as into it as I am, because measuring HRV on a daily basis feels like a more scientific approach to finding the lifestyle changes that work best for you as an individual. You start to figure out patterns, and heart rate variability gives a metric for allowing you to pilot different inputs into your system to see the impact on your resilience. That's Dr. Leah Lagos, psychologist at Rutgers University who studies HRV and works with professionals, including athletes, to do something called HRV biofeedback, which, she says, has elevated their performance. For this episode of Making Sense of Science, I talked with Dr. Lagos and several other experts about what HRV is, how much research supports it, and the best ways of using it to measure and improve health. So what is HRV? At its most basic level, it's the small changes in the length of time between each of your heartbeats. Of course, too much variation could mean there's some kind of problem, like an arrhythmia. But on the other end of the spectrum, you don't want your heartbeat to be too steady, like a metronome. Very healthy people tend to have more variation in their heartbeats than people who are less healthy. And this makes sense based on what scientists know about the heart and the nervous system. The intervals between heartbeats relate to what's going on in the autonomic nervous system, the body's operating system for your heartbeat and other important functions like digestion, most of which are not within a person's conscious control. Throughout our lives, 24-7, there's a bit of a tug-of-war going on that we're totally unaware of between two branches of this autonomic nervous system. One branch, the sympathetic nervous system, is always trying to prepare us to exert lots of energy on activities that are demanding and sometimes key to survival. This branch jacks up heart rate, breathing, and sweating when we're running a race, for example, whether that's a race with your friends for charity or with a bear for survival. The other branch, the parasympathetic nervous system, does pretty much the opposite, helping us to relax and rest in between various stressors, both physical and emotional, like calming you down when a coworker challenges you during a big work meeting, allowing you to concentrate instead of getting thrown off your game. When these two systems are well-balanced, they tug hard at each other, telling your heart to speed up quickly with each inhale and to slow down just as fast when you exhale. That means more variation in your heart rate, so you're well-prepared to rev up quickly if needed and prepared to rev down into a state of calm. Think of having good HRV like a finely tuned race car, Dr. Lagos says, like having the Maserati of the autonomic nervous system. You can drive those curves with acceleration and precision at the same time, and you can stop quickly, but with less effort. You can just oscillate back and forth with less effort. That said, if you get an HRV monitor and find that you have a consistently low HRV compared to other people, say your HRV is in the 40s while the average for your age is 50, that doesn't necessarily mean you're unhealthy. 
you should really be more focused on your own HRV and how it changes over time, taking readings of your HRV often, maybe even every day, preferably first thing in the morning with the same posture, because whether you're sprawled on the couch, standing, or sitting can affect your HRV number. And then you want to compare your HRV today to your own HRV yesterday, or this week's average number to last week's average. It's really all about finding your own personal range and then trying to stay in the upper end of your range, Dr. Lago said. It doesn't matter what yours is versus mine. I just want to get the range to know when you're operating the high end versus the low end. Jesse Lynn Dunn, an assistant professor in biomedical engineering at Duke, who studies HRV, had a similar observation. No, definitely aspects of it that are manageable. And unless you have a really sort of severe genetic I guess abnormality. For the most part, it's trainable to an extent, but there are other factors besides just genetics that we don't have control over, like our gender and our age and our environment. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, it is something that multiple different factors play a role in. Mm -hmm. And so I think we have to think about the percentages that these factors contribute, and we don't always know all of those, but part of this is definitely trainable. Being in the higher end of your range more often and even upping your ceiling a bit if possible could be an important metric of health according to the research that's been done and the experts I talked with. Jason Moore is CEO of Spren and Elite HRV, a popular app that's compatible with a bunch of different sensors made by various companies to allow people to track their heart rate variability. He told me that the number of research findings about the importance of HRV has been increasing in recent years. The research community is just pouring research out now about the validity of HRV as a biomarker for, for uh, all these different conditions. And so I think now there's like 40,000 plus peer-reviewed published studies around heart rate variability. Some of these studies are showing that a dip in HRV could point to various health issues. Dr. Dunn found a connection between HRV and COVID. When people get COVID, they tend to have sharp declines in their daily HRV numbers. I sort of experienced this when I had flu-like symptoms after my bivalent booster, and my daily reading of HRV dropped from its average of about 60 all the way down to 39. Dr. Dunn did explain to me, though, that the telltale sign of COVID in her research was really a combination of changes picked up by wearable sensors, including HRV, but also changes in resting heart rate, sleep, and a few other metrics. As easy as it is to measure HRV, Dr. Dunn says, what it means exactly isn't quite as clear as some other biometrics. HRV means the most about a person's health when it's combined with other measures. Uh, heart rate variability is sort of a non-specific signal in a lot of ways that can be applied to different types of illnesses. With anything in health, it really is sort of like a holistic view of what's going on. So think about you go into your annual visit and they do a blood, so they don't just measure one thing in your blood, they measure your CDCs and your lipid panel and your immune panel and so on, right? It's mm -hmm. a combination of factors. And so HRV is kind of the same idea that it gives us information about where you may be, what your current status may be, where you may be headed, but it's not everything. And so I definitely think that that would be a misconception for people to sort of put all of their eggs in the HRV basket. Additional research has linked lower HRV to shorter lifespan, heart disease, inflammation, and issues with being overweight. Fortunately, there are a number of things people can do to raise their HRV to the higher end of their personal range. 
which could have downstream effects on health and even longevity. One of the big ones could be nutrition. Several studies have shown that switching to and sticking to a Mediterranean diet can lead to increases in a person's HRV, Moore said, though it may take a little while after going Mediterranean for your HRV to start going up. It's different for different people, but there's certain patterns that are pretty strong. Nutrition is a little bit of a harder one because it takes a little bit more time, and there's so much dogma around nutrition. We found is that it's very individual. You know, you can find people high carb on one side, low carb on the other side, vegetarian on one side, carnivore on the other side. You can have all these different camps. Ultimately, everybody kind of has to find what works for them. It takes a little bit of a longer time to respond to that because there's this whole level of inflammation in the body that comes from nutrition and changing your diet that HRV can help pick up. Based on the available research, Moore thinks that faster improvements in HRV could show up from other types of changes to diet. For example, research backs up a connection between improvements in HRV and intermittent fasting, as well as if you get rid of something harmful from your diet. It's things like, I'm going to completely eliminate all junk food or something like that, right? Or drop some caffeine or drop some alcohol or do kind of bigger things like that. HRV will usually pick up on those changes. My own experience with intermittent fasting seems to back this up. Since I started tracking my HRV on a daily basis in October, I've been motivated to try intermittent fasting for longer time windows, partly to see how it affects my HRV. And since I have gradually gone from fasting for an average of about 14 hours last October up to about 17 hours over the past month, my average HRV seems to be gradually ticking upward. Now, I can't say that I've necessarily held all other factors exactly equal over that time period because I do have other things to do besides analyze every waking moment of my own existence. But my sleep and exercise, at least, have been pretty constant, and it does seem like intermittent fasting has made some difference. I guess I am focused on myself enough that I've started a spreadsheet to log my numbers on a daily basis to keep track of as much of this as I could. Some people won't get that passionate, or maybe neurotic, which is fine, but I find it interesting and worthwhile, and it really just takes about five minutes every day to log a few stats on things like sleep, fasting, caffeine, alcohol, exercise, and HRV. Now, speaking of exercise, there are a few things to keep in mind. For example, if you're already exercising often, you might not see much of an improvement in your HRV if you try to exercise even more, Moore said. Another important factor to keep in mind is mental health, which can very much affect HRV. I've noticed that even in real time as I'm taking a reading on my app, if I start stressing about something, my HRV will start going down as my stress triggers my sympathetic nervous system to ramp up, with my heartbeat getting faster. The reverse seems true as well. In at least one study by University of Maryland researchers, feeling happy when recalling nice experiences from one's past led to higher HRV. Whatever, and that can be a sneaky one, but it can refer 
reflect in the numbers as well. Making time for stress busters like meditation or hanging out with people you tolerate or maybe even like could have a positive effect on HRV. But interestingly, if you're wearing a sensor, you may find that meditation on its own actually drops your HRV. Other breathing sessions have been developed over the past few decades that are specifically focused on raising your HRV. This is called HRV biofeedback. Dr. Lagos explains how these are really two separate things. So it's different than meditation. Even though the pathway is breathing, the results are different. Meditation leads to more of a cerebral effect. The heart rate variability biofeedback first and foremost helps you gain control over your stress response and regulate how your body feels. So this isn't just a calming exercise. It strengthens the mechanisms to acclimate to a condition. You can rev up faster, you can let go faster, but you're in control of what you need. Meditation is also very helpful for in the moment, but it doesn't necessarily, unless you've done it for years, translate into a baseline effect. You'll need a sensor and an app if you'd like to measure HRV in real time to do this biofeedback training. According to research that's been done, the best investment if you're specifically interested in measuring your HRV while breathing a certain way is chest straps, basically a simple strap that circles your chest with a monitor sitting right in the middle of your chest. In addition to being really accurate, chest straps have another advantage over sensors you wear on your finger or wrist. You can move around while taking a reading, which makes it easier and more practical to use. However, some people may find them uncomfortable, so it's good to have other options. So what does HRV biofeedback breathing involve exactly? At its most basic level, you breathe in for about four seconds and without pausing, you exhale for about seven seconds. The reason this seems to raise HRV is that for most people, this rate of breathing aligns to your heart rate. Another important point is that the exact lengths of each inhale and exhale will vary depending on your height, as taller people have more blood in their bodies. When you breathe this way, you're breathing at what scientists refer to as the resonant frequency. And if you try this while wearing a heart monitor, you'll see that your HRV goes up sharply. In my own case, when taking this four seconds in, seven seconds out approach to breathing, my HRV goes up from about 60 to about 70. Over the decades, scientists have learned exactly why this happens. When we inhale, the heart rate goes up, and then five seconds later, blood pressure goes up. This blood pressure change is called the baroreflex. The same reflex works in the other direction when exhaling. Starting an exhale causes the heart rate to drop. Then five seconds later, blood pressure goes up. When we purposely slow our breathing by about five seconds, give or take, to match the timing of our baroreflex, the baroreflex gets stronger over time, and the difference widens between minimum and maximum heart rate for higher HRV. Now, there's a big letdown here. As soon as you stop breathing this way, your HRV goes right back down to what it was before the breathing session. But scientists such as Paul Lair, who studied HRV biofeedback for 30 years at Rutgers, have found that even though the increase in HRV is temporary, breathing at resonant frequency every day for 10 weeks for about 40 minutes each day is linked to a reduction in feelings of anxiety, and people in these studies experience more well-being. Some research even suggests that HRV biofeedback can lead to better cognition and control over one's emotions. These studies are based on brain scans, and at least one study from 2021 by a German scientist named Andy Schumann found that after doing HRV biofeedback for eight weeks, people's brain scans showed more connections between different parts of the brain compared to a control group. Much more research is needed to explore these benefits and understand why exactly they seem to be showing up for people. 
And Dr. Dunn pointed out the big elephant in the room. How many people actually have 40 minutes of spare time for HRV biofeedback every day? Personally, I do not. However, what I have been able to do is combine HRV biofeedback with other activities to make the daily breathing a little bit more practical. To clarify, I don't recommend combining it with other activities at first. In those first couple of weeks, you want to focus entirely on getting your cadence right, preferably while wearing a chest monitor that lets you see exactly how the lengths of your inhales and exhales are translating into higher HRV. After that, I do think there is some room for getting in your HRV biofeedback breathing while taking care of other stuff you want or need to do that doesn't involve a lot of concentration. Good activities for this purpose definitely would not include trying to focus on this breathing while operating heavy machinery. Please do not try to drive a car. Vehicular HRV biofeedback is a terrible idea. I'm talking about less risky activities like I do it every day while washing the dishes. And I even sometimes get in a couple of sessions while brushing my teeth in the morning and at night. And while meditation is very different than consciously adjusting your breathing during HRV biofeedback, in my experience at least, I can make HRV biofeedback somewhat meditative by paying attention to my breath and observing my thoughts while I'm doing the biofeedback practice. I'm sure I would see more benefit if I didn't multitask with things like dishwashing, but again, I just don't have the time to set aside 40 minutes per day for this. Plus, it's my sense that combining with other activities is effective to some degree because I can see my HRV going up and staying up while I'm brushing and breathing at the same time. And I do find that when I got on a roll with doing a lot of HRV biofeedback over consecutive weeks, I do start to feel more capable of handling various stressors. And so we've come full circle back to my own biases and subjectivity, perhaps, but I'm enjoying HRV biofeedback and monitoring my HRV every day based on the research that's been done in this area. Jason Moore puts it much better than I can. It's a sensitive but non-specific marker. And so it really helps you gauge if we're moving in a positive direction or a negative direction. And in this interconnected web of all the things you're doing, it takes a little bit of experimentation to sort of tease apart what moves the needle for you, but it gives you an immediate feedback loop, which makes that a lot easier. Lastly, there's another category of things that I've found increase HRV that are backed by research, such as freezing cold showers. They elevate my HRV significantly. So does listening to music and being in nature, even more so when paired with HRV biofeedback. In fact, I took freezing cold showers each morning throughout the month of January, and not only did it elevate my HRV right after the shower, but my daily readouts for that month were on average quite a bit higher than the other months I've been monitoring HRV. Hopefully this is already clear, but I'll underscore that I am by no means a doctor or any other type of trained specialist in HRV. And if you have a chance to consult with people who have those credentials about this, take that opportunity and listen to what they say. Many thanks to Jason Moore, Dr. Jesse Lynn Dunn, and Dr. Leah Lagos for your contributions to this episode. As I've monitored HRV in recent months, I've thought a lot about how figuring out the best way to live your life, the best ways to be healthy and feel your best on a daily basis, requires plenty of trial and error, like the scientific method itself. In this way, it makes sense that science is increasingly converging with and informing our lifestyles and helping us make better choices. Good luck with your own HRV experiments if you'd like to give it a try, and please share your experiences with HRV in the comments of your favorite listening app or on leaps.org, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm Matt Fuchs, and this is Making Sense of Science.